want to ask you a question this morning as we start, and it's this. Have you ever thought about where you might be as a Christian 10 years from now? Let me further clarify that. Would you be backslidden? Would you be more like a disciple of Christ? Will there be others who might influence you? Will you receive wisdom, uh, mentoring from a godly person? Perhaps you desire to mentor someone yourself, and that would happen in these years. I just want you to think about that as, as we think about how life transpires. And today we're going to read a passage uh, in Galatians, Galatians 4, 12 through 20, and we're going to read what I think is Paul's personal, pastoral, if you will, appeal to the Galatian believers. He gets personal. I've heard it said, and I agree with it, that perhaps this is the heart of the letter right here as we look at it. So let's jump in verses uh, four, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, 12 through 20. I beg you, brothers, Become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And then here comes a question, verse 15. What happened to this blessedness of yours for I testify to you that if possible you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me and even a tougher question have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth they talking about the Judaizers they are enthusiastic about you but not for any good instead they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I am with you my children again I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Pretty personal. Let's pray. God, speak through your word today. Not my words, but your words. Thank you for the full and complete revelation of yourself you give to us through your word, the Bible that it contains life, that we find our purpose. So we're grateful, God. And we thank you for the promises of your word. We're thinking today about the promise of heaven being with you for eternity, the promise of you being alongside us, never leading us, never forsaking us, abandoning us. So God, we're grateful. We know you're here today. We pray that your spirit would just move among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump in and look at each verse. Just have a few verses to look at today. But the first section, uh, what jumps out to me is there's a picture of Paul appealing for restoration of fellowship. In verses 12 through 16, I think he's giving this appeal to them. Restoration. 
fellowship. In fact, we know as we read the Bible that restoration is one of the themes that you, we see on and on and on at this left turn and this right turn and over this hill and around this corner. In fact, God was about that very early on, wasn't he, as he began to give us a rescue plan for us as sinners, a rescue plan that would cul culminate with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So uh, we see this from Paul, restoration, fellowship. In verse 12, he starts right off. It's an appeal really for them, hey, guys, drop your legalism that has come into your midst. Adopt my position. Be like me. Paul calls them brothers here. It's, a, it's, again, personal. It's a touch of compassion. It's a pastoral kind of touch in nature as well. And the scripture says in verse 12, he says, I beg you. He begs them. That gives us the picture of urgency. And it's not just I beg you so we can get along. It's for the sake of their spiritual wellness, their spiritual wholeness. And isn't that how God is? Isn't that how his word is? It's not just so we sing kumbaya and everybody's happy and we hug each other and all that. It's for something much more than that, restoration and fellowship. It is to keep us in right relationship with God for our spiritual well-being. So he begs them to do what? To become like him. Now, that word become like him, that's an important word. It's a command. It's an imperative. Literally, if we were to read it in the biblical language, he would be saying, keep on becoming as I am. Keep on becoming as I am. And that's what he wants. And it's not an option. It's given as a command. And then he says, as I became like you, which is a great example for us, but it's a little confusing to me. Wait, wait a minute, Paul. Which Galatians are you talking about and how? Let's remember how Paul became like them. Let me illustrate in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 20 through 22. Listen to the words here as Paul writes to Corinth. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became like the weak. I have become, this blows my mind, I have become all things to all people so that I may, be, I may by every possible means save some. What an example this is. When he says, I've become like you, I think this gives us a good understanding of what he's talking about there. Why in the world, Paul, so what? The lost might be saved. It's not about us, church. It's about our relationship with God and how that is winsome and glorious to people who are seeking and that they might respond and want what we have. He did this. Over here, okay, I, I'll relate to you this way. You guys, I'll relate to you. you got, we win the right to share. So the question is, okay, be like you, Paul. Well, what was Paul like? Go back a couple pages to Galatians chapter 2. Look at Galatians 2, 19 and 20. We want to know more what Paul was like. Verse 19, for through the law I have died to the law that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, be like that. Let's go further. Philippians 1, 21, you know this. Paul makes an outstanding, very blunt, brief statement. He says, for me, living is Christ, dying is gain. Be like me, I beg you. And then we also see in the last half of verse 12 that Paul affirms, again, in a loving, I think, restorative way, just reminding them, hey, you didn't wrong me in the past. It was different. It's not the same as it is right now. I've got a quote from John Stott that I want to read. I think it's powerful. I hope you'll chew on it. Listen closely to it. All Christians should be able to say, become like me. Did you catch that? All Christians should be able to say, become like me, especially to the lost, because we are so satisfied with Jesus, his freedom, joy, and salvation. Now, I'm not naive. Are you? We're not always that way, are we? We are not always that way. There have been times in my life, what about you, when if I was honest, I would tell, uh, especially a lost person, hey, don't really be exactly like me. But we need to be more and more like this, that, hey, become like me. Why? Because of, of what Christ has done in my life, because of how amazing this fellowship is with the Lord, how he's restored me, how he has saved me, and how he is working in my life, and, and I have freedom and purpose and joy salvation, on and on and on. Let's look at verse 13. Then uh, Paul goes a little farther and he talks about a bodily ailment or sickness. And he states, and they, and, and they knew, they knew exactly what Paul was speaking about. Yet notice in that verse, don't miss the fact that in spite of whatever it was, it did not keep him from evangelizing them when he first came. And he makes that clear, and he reminds them of that. Preach the gospel. Any of you ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Yeah, some of you this morning, all right? <laughs> yeah, right? Or maybe we're just not having a good day. Circumstance doesn't matter. Paul had a severe circumstance, and yet he was about the evangelization of these folks. We, as Scripture commands us to do, should always be ready to give an answer. We should always be ready to give a defense of our faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's a good day or a bad day. I had some good days this week. I got to talk to two of our kiddos about a new life in Christ and what is happening in their life. And we look forward to the day they'll be baptized and we'll celebrate that. Those are good days. But you know what? If I had a different day that wasn't like that, it's still okay and I should still share what the gospel of Jesus is. And so Paul reminds them and says that in verse 13. And then we get to verse 14, and it's very interesting. Do you see it? And though my physical condition was a trial for you. Isn't that peculiar? It's a trial for you. You did not despise or reject me. Paul's grateful. On the contrary, 
instead of despising or rejecting or loathing or whatever your translation says there, he says what? He says, on the contrary, you received me. It's important to note that in those times, that's important because in those days, many thought that an illness was God's judgment. They don't have all the medical uh, understanding that, that we have. Lots of times, something's wrong with you. Oh, God judgment on you, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. And, and, and you could see how that would be a trial for them. So whatever was wrong with Paul, he states that it was a trial. And I would say even more strongly worded, perhaps it was even a revulsion to them. Yet they did not despise Yet they did not loathe him. That's an interesting word. It means to spit out as a token of disgust. So if you have the word loathe there, you could picture that. Someone spitting and moving on. And that's the picture that we get here. And they did not do that. Instead, verse 14 says what? They received him. Did you catch that? He reminds them of that. Hey, back then, you received me. The word receive means to grab something with the hand. It's not just, hey, it's receiving something in this way. We would say it this way, put out the welcome mat. They put out the welcome mat for Paul in spite of this trial that they were seeing this bodily ailment, this illness. And how did they receive them? Do you see in verse 14? It's crazy. He says, you received me as an angel of God. Now, don't, don't, don't go off and read some angel book, okay? I know how those things are out there. Angel means what? Messenger. They received him as a messenger of God. How about that? And even as Christ himself. Let me read to you to illustrate 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God... That when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is. It's the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. That's what they accepted. And I would say to us today, church, anyone who's listening today, let us accept God's servants just like these Galatians did back in the day with Paul. Let us accept God's servants, not because of outward appearance, but because they represent the Lord and bring his message. And let me ask you that. Do you have fellowship with God's servants? Are you able to have submission when necessary to receive someone who is of the Lord, who is sharing about the Lord, who is sharing his message It's easy for us to be the smartest guy in the room, isn't it, sometimes? Or it's easy for us to say, well, I, you know, I am better than this or that. No, we receive God's servants with the work that they're doing. And then we move on to verse 15 as we're thinking about this appeal for restoration, for fellowship. And we see in verse 15, Paul basically just asks, hey, what happened? Now, it's a rhetorical question. He's asking this, as as we've learned all through these chapters of Galatians, he's asking, why have you turned against the free gospel of grace? What made you lose that satisfaction you had in the past? 
And Paul says something peculiar in verse 15. He says, you were willing to tear out your eyes for me. Did you wonder about that when you saw that? What, what is it? Is, is it just a figure of speech, perhaps? Or did Paul have an eye disease? Some scholar would say he had trachoma, which was a common eye, grotesque eye disease in those days. And some say that because of 6.11. Look at 6.11, Galatians 6.11. Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Interesting. So we could take a poll and see whether you think it's a figure of speech or you think it's actually an eye disease. It doesn't matter. Because in either case, previously they were willing to sacrifice for Paul. If it's an eye disease, here, have my good eye. Or if it's a figure of speech, just the idea of, I'm giving you all I got. Wow, what kind of fellowship that is. And Paul longs for restoration with them. Well, the last verse of this section is verse 16, and we have the wake-up question. Do you see the wake-up question here? It's, it's powerful. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Remember what's happening with uh, these Christians in these churches in Galatia, in the region. They are spiritually defecting. And I want to tell you something. When someone is spiritually defecting, and they're a believer, and all of a sudden, whoop, they go that way, or you want, what happened? Where they go? This is very painful for the teacher. This is very painful for the preacher. This is very painful for the missionary. Today, it's just as painful as it was in Paul's day. It hurts. It impacts us when that happens. Remember, in this situation, the gospel of legalism had become more attractive to them than the gospel of grace. Be careful, Christian, that uh, the, law, the law of legalism or the gospel of this or that, you fill in the blank, it can never take the place of the gospel of grace, faith in Jesus Christ. Got a couple quotes from you. You ever heard a guy named MacArthur? He said this. See, I can say it because I'm reading it, right? If I, and you can't get mad at me. All right, here we go. <laughs> Many people appreciate a preacher or teacher only as long as he says what they want to hear. Hello. We got any Bible teachers out there? Come on. Yeah. How about old crusty J. Vernon McGee? You ever heard that name before? He had a way with words that were blunt. Listen, he says this. We all like to have our backs rubbed, and there is a lot of back rubbing from the contemporary pulpit rather than the declaration of truth. Ouch. Yes. Telling the biblical truth, which foundation is the gospel, is vital today. It's vital just as it was in Paul's day. So he's appealing for this restoration of fellowship and then we move on to verses 17 and 18, and we see something that's not an appeal, but it's an indictment. Paul comes back, and he indicts these false teachers. And in verse 17, we see it's a clear indictment of the activities of the Judaizers. 
Remember, the Judaizers had seduced the Galatians selfishly. They had used every means. They had used false flattery. They had pulled out all the stops. And the text here, as we read it, gives us the idea of courting. They were courting these Galatian Christians. Do you remember courting? You youngsters don't, but some of you that are elderly, maybe my age or older, do you remember those days of courting? I'll never forget back in the day, a guy had to call the girl, right? Okay? And my phone's down there, but for you younger folks, I was, it's, it, it was a phone that you had to, it was hooked to the wall, or the cord was, and you had to hold it. And uh, for some of you, you had to go, you know what I'm talking about? Or for some of us, later on, we got excited because we could actually just push buttons. Okay? That's not the point. The point is how nervous it was. Guys, can you relate to this? When you got the courage to call that girl up. I can remember getting ready to go, hanging up. You ain't hanging up, okay? But it was a process. And it, it had an ends in the mean to, to, to build a relationship. Courting. Hmm. That's what he was describing these guys have doing. They are enthusiastic, verse 17, about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. Wow. Do you know cults do this exact thing today? It's called love bombing. Have you heard of that? Cults are very good at this, love bombing. It's a technique of overwhelming a person, what they would consider a prospect, overwhelming them with attention, with support, with affection. Why would, you, why would they do that? So this prospect will only pay attention to them. The word isolate, to get them right here. Church, we need to pray for each other and for our children and our grandchildren. Some folks that are listening today are dealing with the, the difficulty of what perhaps a cult is doing with their child or grandchild right now, just like the Judaizers. They're enthusiastic, but they're teaching things that's contrary to God's Word, isolating, isolating, and isolating them. The Judaizers cared only about trapping the Galatians in what? Do you remember? Legalism. Adding something to the gospel. David Guzik says it this way. Legalism is often a zeal more for the group itself than for Jesus Christ. Now you think about that church for a minute. I'm not going to get political this morning. I'm not going to get all up in your business. But I want you to think about even something that might be good. If your zeal is more for the group or the system or the ism more than your zeal is for Jesus Christ, you better check yourself. And I better do the same thing. Is it easy to do that? We resonate with this, don't we? We resonate with that. We like this system or that system. Things make sense to us. But ultimately, it's Jesus Christ over and above everything. And here's the example right here of what these folks were trying to do and were doing to these Galatians. Let me ask you a question. Is your Christian life moving forward into liberty or backward into bondage. 
because that's what groups, that's what cults, that's what the Judaizers, that's what legalism always does. It takes us backward into bondage instead of liberty, the free gospel of grace. And then he continues on in verse 18, talking about zeal or enthusiasm. Zeal's good. Do you agree? Enthusiasm is good, but he puts a condition on it. If the purpose is good. On the contrary, zeal in the service of a lie is a dangerous thing. Maybe you've experienced that. I, I, I've experienced that in my life dealing with people, some very close to me. Uh, zeal wrapped around a lie is so dangerous. Maybe you have family members like I do that are experiencing this or a friend or someone that was in church and, and they're not and they used to be close to them because you have to watch out for that. It's great to be enthusiastic. It's great to be for it, but it can't be something that it's a lie that is separate and different from the contrary of God's word. Our enthusiasm for God and his purposes should be present. But as Paul states here in verse 18, it should be whether Paul is present or not. And for us today, our zeal, our enthusiasm for the gospel, for God's word, for what he's doing in our life should be present whether so-and-so is there or not. Whether your spouse is there or not, whether your parent is there or not, whether your child is there or not, whether you fill in the blank. And it's a great reminder for us. Let me illustrate Philippians 1.27. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Okay, that's an indictment on these false teachers. Let's finish up today with verses 19 and 20 and see what Paul has to say here. He is exhibiting, I think, a pastoral concern, a motive. And he, he does this in verse 19 and 20. He's exhibiting again, just like at the beginning of this passage, a tender, a pastoral touch. What does he say? He says, my children. Do you see that? He says, my children. Yet he's not just having this tender approach. He, it's, it blows my mind. He's also sharing, hey, there's pain and there's anguish. And they were brought to birth now again. It's pain from your backsliding. I think it's a powerful metaphor here if you really look at it. Paul is basically describing labor pains for a second time with the same child. All right, ladies, those of you that have been in labor had kids, how many after that, that blessed baby was born, you would have said, okay, I would love to go through that again right now. Here we go. <laughs> or even as that little one grew and he or she... They get out of the terrible toddler days, right? And, they're, and, they're, and all of a sudden, you're having a great time when they're 5 or 10 or 15 and say, hey, let me just do that again with that child. Let me just have that labor again. And this is what Paul is experiencing and what he is sharing. Wow. My children, again, I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is forming you. Interesting. MacArthur says it this way, you are acting as if you need to be spiritually born all over again. 
Come on, folks. But please note something. Please note that Paul's goal is not that they would make much of him. Did you catch it? Paul's goal, rather, is that Christ is formed in you. That is a power-packed phrase. Until Christ is formed in you. Paul's desire is to see the believers come back and grow in Christ. Not just be delivered from false teachers, but come back and grow in Christ. Christ forming them and forming them. Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Perfect it. What does that mean? It gives us a picture of completion. Romans 12, 2. We know it and we love it. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and here's that word again, and perfect. Again, that word means complete. That word means of full age. That word means mature. And that's what Paul ultimately wants here. Uh, that's what God wants in our life. Again, I ask you a question. Where are you thinking it'll be a few years from now, a few months from now, a decade from now? Are you going to be moving forward with Christ? Are you going to be growing? Or are you going to be backsliding? Are you going to be taking a step back? It's been said the Christian life is not like this. You guys know what I'm talking about? Would you agree? True in my life. It's either going this way or it's going this way. Now, I know it goes like this. That's okay. But you can put the arc to it, all right? And that's just true. And it, it's clear here in other places that Paul writes in the Scripture. Grow in Christ. Be fully formed in Him. You see, discipleship is a process of maturing in Christ. We use this big word, but that's the whole idea. That's why I said, I wonder if someone will be mentoring, will be working with you, will be urging you on, will be begging you to be more like them in the future. And perhaps God will call some of us in the future to do the same for another Christian that maybe needs someone to come alongside them and say, I am for you. Be more like me. Let's see what this God thing is all about. Let's see if we can be more of a disciple, in fact, what does Scripture say? We need to make disciples who then do what? Make disciples. God, help us. God, give us what we need for that. Then we finish with verse 20. Again, an interesting thing. It's very personal, just very interesting what he's saying. I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice. He's writing a letter, isn't he? But you've got to read through the lines, right? change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Any parents out there? You have said that before. I just don't know what to do with you. And then if it was me, the next phrase would be, and go to your room. I know none of you have ever done that. Or maybe the next phrase would be, why? Because I said so. Now, we never did that, right? I said, I am never saying that. I am never saying that. And I said that, I think, to all of our boys, okay? Paul is longing to visit. It's as if he's a parent wanting to go visit the child who's gone off to college. Did that ever happen to you? I'll never forget our firstborn headed off to Eastern New Mexico University. I'm going to play football there, so I had to go early. I'll never forget taking him 
by myself. Lynn and her family had this glorious family reunion in Branson of all places. And I could not go because of my responsibilities at church. And that worked out great. So I had to take Matthew to college and leave him with just football players and I think volleyball players. That's it. Oh, anybody remember those days? I think I cried in my car from Portales through Fort Sumner up to Santa Rosa. It's just awful. And then you, you think about that, that child, especially that first one who's gone off to college, and you just want, you long for a visit, don't you? And they don't want you to visit them. <laughs> and you try to figure out, hey, could I come do this or that? And, and, and they don't want that. But, but that's what Paul is like. He's, he's got this longing. He wants to change his tone. Well, what's his tone? His tone is that he's perplexed. He's perplexed. What does that mean? That means perplexed means this, without a way or without a path. He's perplexed about them. And this is what I think, and you can disagree if you want to, but this is what I think about this change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. I think Paul understands that God given him the understanding that a letter cannot replace a face-to-face encounter. And you think about how important that is. That the nonverbal, the inflection, just the time spent face to face. And this is what he wants. This is why this passage is the very heart of the letter. Even though we know that written words don't convey the power of the voice on a heart, Paul longs for them. Today, church, what do you long for? What do you long for? What are you looking for? Is it restoration? Remember, restoration is throughout Scripture. God has initiated a rescue plan for us sinners in our lives. Constantly we see reconciliation, restoration over and over and over. Perhaps for you today, restoration needs to take place. Maybe it's in your marriage today. Maybe it's in a relationship that you have with a child. Maybe it's a situation at work Maybe it's in the neighborhood. Maybe it's something at school. Maybe it's a financial thing. But it needs to take place so fellowship can return. Where are you on that scale? Most of all, it might be restoration with your Savior, with Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sin, for my sin. Where are you? And then when we think about discipleship, where are you? Where am I? Where are we on that line? Are we moving forward and forward with the Lord? Or have someone caught our attention and we're moving backwards? And maybe it's not a cult for you, obviously. You wouldn't be here this morning. Maybe it's not something drastic like that, but it's something that just moves you here, here, and here. Oh, God, that we would be discipled and mentored by others. And for those listening today, These scales or these ideas don't matter unless you've truly been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. You've had a time in your life where you repented of your sin and turned and ran to God. And he gave you the ability to do that. And you said, I trust you. Here, I place my faith in you. Save me and take over my life. Has that happened to you today? 
If not, why not? If not, why not cry out to God? We call it prayer. And just tell Him, I know I'm a sinner. I need you. I trust you. You're the one who can save me. Save me of my sin. Take over my life. Restore me. May that happen today. And some of you in here, many of you, that's happened in your life, hasn't it? Amen. What is God wanting to do with you this year? May we have a mindset of Paul looking for restoration, fighting against things that are not of the word. Hmm. May we do that, having concern, even a pastoral-like concern for others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, for your word, for the opportunity to study it. Touch us, God. God, remove my words and just take the words of your scripture and implant and impart those upon our hearts. God, may we be different next month and next year. We ask for your help. And God, I pray for those today who are pondering, who are thinking about what it means to have relationship with Jesus Christ. God, would you remind them that you have brought them to that point, that you have been working behind the scenes in their life or maybe right in front of them. And you're bringing them to a point of crisis. You're bringing them to a point of consideration. The fact that Jesus is the answer to everything. And that they can repent of their sin and they can run and place all of them right into your lap. And they can call out to you and they can confess you and you will save. And God, we're so grateful for that. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes might not perish have eternal life. God, I pray that you bring new life to people today. And for those of us, Lord, that have new life, that it would be fresh and new and that we would move forward. So thank you, God, for these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.